0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. I want to say to all of you, welcome in the name of Jesus. May the Spirit of the Lord be upon you this morning as he breathes upon us his word. This week, I went around my office asking who knew what about Jonah too. You know, when you work at a place like Oklahoma Christian in the College of Biblical Studies and you're surrounded by people that spend their careers, their lives thinking and reading and studying about these things, sometimes I just go around and walk around and say, hey, what do you know about this? Well, there were a lot of things, different things said throughout the week, but one of this story struck me it was actually one professor, it was a New Testament professor, not, not Jim Dvorak, it was another one, and he says, I don't know anything about Jonah too," typical New Testament professor, and he goes, but here's a story I once heard, and I really like it, said there was a young man that was going off to seminary. And his father was very, very concerned that if he went off to seminary, that he would lose his faith. That he would go, and they would get all this education, and he wouldn't believe anymore. So he said to his son, son, I want you to go there, and I don't want you to lose your faith. He said, okay, dad. And then he says, and this is what they're going to try to tell you. They're going to try, t- t- try to tell you that the story of Jonah is not real. You don't believe him. They're going to try to convince you the story of Jonah is not real. The thing about the fish, the thing about three days, the thing about, they're going to try to convince you that story is not real. So he said, okay, Dad. So the young man goes off to school and he was gone for two years. And he comes back and his dad says, welcome back. Please don't tell me you lost your faith. He goes, no, Dad, I didn't lose my faith. And he said, did they try to tell you the story of Jonah is not real? And the son responds back to his father. He says, Dad, Jonah's not even in your Bible. He said, What? What are you talking about? He goes, Jonah's not even in your Bible. Look. And he goes, Yes, it is. He starts flipping through the Scriptures, and he can't find Jonah. And he goes, Where'd it go? And he goes, The day before I left, I ripped Jonah out of your Bible. So, Dad, you tell me this. Which is worse? That they told me the story of Jonah wasn't real, or that you don't even read the story of Jonah? We come with all kinds of concerns. We come with all kinds of concerns and questions. But here's what I want to ask us today. Can you hear the story of Jonah? Can you forget about your concerns and your questions and hear and really listen to the message of Jonah? So as we read last week, Jonah's called by God, and immediately he runs away. He takes this journey, which is a descending journey, if you follow the story of Jonah. It's this descending journey down to the depths. It begins in Joppa, and he's on his way to Tarshish, and then the storm is part of the journey. And then he's thrown into the open sea. And then he's swallowed by this enormous fish. And he's taken to the depths of the sea. Even to death, that is his journey. And then in chapter 2, his fleeing ends. But it's not because of Jonah that it ends. It is because of God's relentless Pursuit of Jonah is why it ends. And what marks the end of Jonah's fleeing is there is an abrupt change in how this story is told. We move from prose to poetry. We move from this narrative in chapter one, and by the way, we'll come back to this narrative, but chapter two, almost the whole thing is a prayer, and it's in poetry. That's one of the marks that Jonah gives us, that something is about to change. And so Jonah, beginning in verse one, it says, we're actually the end of chapter one, but the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to you, Lord, out of my distress. I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. The weeds wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land. And those bars... Closed up over me forever. Repentance is a main theme in the book of Jonah. It's one of the main themes of the book. I mean, you remember at the beginning of the book, God calls Jonah. He says, I want you to go to the, the Ninevites, and I want you to say, hey, not good stuff's coming, Right? But the idea is that he's going to go so they may change and they're going to repent. And so repentance is at the very heart of Jonah. Yet in the belly of the fish, what's interesting is that this is the first time that Jonah talks to God. And it doesn't seem like much repentance is going on. I mean, in one sense, you can read it that way, right? But let me give you an example. So this matches like the psalms. It sounds very much like a psalm. In fact, some of it's drawn from different psalms. But it does not sound like the kind of repentant confession that we get from like Psalm 51. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified to judge. And then this psalm goes on. We actually sing this psalm. A little bit later, you probably know the song. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and leave not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within. Now that's a song of repentance and confession. That's not what Jonah does. Repentance and confession is part of this journey that we're on as Christians. And I think repentance often gets a bad rap because when we say someone had to repent, it usually is seen as like this negative, well, they must have done something really bad. When in fact, Repentance is literally this action of you're going in this direction and then you turn and you go in a different direction. That's what repentance is. Repentance is what we call, a more positive term, transformation. It's got the same idea. In fact, repentance is not a bad action or like, oh, I had to repent. Repentance is actually an act of hope. It's an act of hope. But in Jonah, we don't get this sense of that kind of repentance. And a sign may be that we find, as you go on and read, and we'll come back to this a little bit later, but in verse 8, where it says, he says to God in his prayer, those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. Remember in verse 1? It's very ironic. Remember we talked about how much irony is in Jonah. It is very ironic that he says this in his poem or his prayer to God. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. Because Brad talks about it again, all those sailors, remember when the storm came up? They started praying to whoever God they think could save them, any and every God. He says, "Those, those are the type of people I'm talking about. They've forsaken their true loyalty. But what's ironic that he praised this praise, almost as oblivious, I think, on some level, is that by the end of that story, as Brad mentioned in the communion homily, they actually worship the true God. They make vows and sacrifices. This is something Jonah has not done. Because see, what Jonah doesn't realize at this point is that um, nature has obeyed in this story. The weather has obeyed, clouds have obeyed, the rain has obeyed, the winds have obeyed God. The sea has obeyed God, the waves have obeyed God, and even a giant fish has obeyed God and finally, These pagan sailors have obeyed God. Do you know the only person in this story, or the only character in this story that hasn't obeyed God? Jonah. What's interesting is that, remember, his name is son of Amiti, which literally means in Hebrew, he's the son of faithfulness. Jonah Son of faithfulness is the only person in the story who has not been faithful. Perhaps he thinks he's made a great sacrifice for the sailors. Throw me overboard, throw me overboard. Everything will be all right. God will stop the sea, he'll stop the waves, he'll stop the storm. What Jonah hasn't realized is that he's the only one in the story that's forsaken his true loyalty. For when God calls him, he runs in completely the opposite direction. And what he, perhaps there is no confession and perhaps there is no desire for repentance, although you may can read it that way. But the reason why there may be no desire for this or no out confession like you find in Psalm 1 is because the story, this situation is no longer up to Jonah. He's at the end of his rope. He has hit rock bottom. He is sitting in the gastric juices of a big fish. And if that's gross to you, it's intended to be gross. Think about where he's sitting. Is there any kind of rock bottom that's worse than sitting in the gastric juices of a big fish? And so when you're at rock bottom, when you're walking in a particular direction and you hit a wall, the only option is to turn around. And so Jonah turns to God because he's literally at the bottom there's literally he can't go any further and so he turns around and so there is repentance in the story but just like the story moves from prose to poetry, Jonah moves from silence, not saying a word to God, to prayer finally he says something the prophet, finally he talks to God and God has been pursuing Jonah, and the first time he prays is in the belly of that big fish. Rosemary Nixon says this. I, I have to share it with you. I read this, and I couldn't help it. I, I told Kim I shared it with her because I love it. You, you See what you think of it. She wrote this, and thinking about this story in Jonah's prayer, she says, Here, In the context of this story, here is a God more willing to hear than we are to pray. Mm. Here is a God who is more willing to hear than we are to pray. A God who knows the words on our lips before we speak them, but who longs for us to speak them so that we may know He has heard our prayer. I love that. So it says this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Sheol is Hebrew, it's the place of the dead. In the Old Testament, it doesn't seem as complicated. They don't view the world really as kind of an afterlife, like where do you go after you die? Like those, those things come later, like heaven or hell or those things. For the Old Testament, Sheol is the place of the dead. It's where you go, bad people go, young people go, old people go, everyone goes. And what's interesting is that the way he's talking about this, he's speaking this, this kind of rhetorical turn, he's speaking proleptically. I've talked about this before, so to speak proleptically is like to do this. Is to say something is a reality now that it hasn't quite happened yet, right? So here's an example. Have you ever done this? Right? So uh, you're on your way somewhere, and you're walking out, and your spouse or your children or somebody is still, and you yell, hey! Hey! I'm in the car. Have you ever done that before? Like you're in the living room, you say, hey, I'm in the car. Well, you're not literally in the car. Somebody could turn around and say, you're not in the car, you're in the kitchen. You're in the living room. But I'm speaking proleptically. I'm talking as if, hey, I'm in the car. You can know where to find me. This is is, a sure thing. It's happening. is speaking proleptically here. He's in the belly of a fish, and while he's still alive, he's saying, I'm a dead man walking. Or maybe a dead man swimming. Here's what he's saying I'm in the place of death. And the way they talk about Sheol in the Old Testament, there's lots of different imagery. But he uses this imagery here from verse three. You cast me to the deep into the heart of the sea and the flood surrounded me and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven out of your sight. How shall I look again upon your temple? For the waters closed over me and the deep surrounded me. There were weeds wrapped around my head and at the roots of the mountain. And then here's this phrase. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. What's interesting is he doesn't talk about what's the problem. He doesn't talk about the imagery of being in the belly, right? Of being surrounded by the gastric juices of a fish. He talks about the sea and the depths being barred in. This is all language that the Old Testament used for Sheol. There's often pictures of it being a city with a gate and with bars to hold the captives. Because once you go down to the depths, there's no way back. The sea is often associated with Sheol. It's where spirits live. Remember? When Jesus drives out the, the spirits, they send them into the pigs, and the pigs run off into the lake. Do you remember that? The, pigs are, the spirits are just going home. We don't get that part of the story. They're just going home. That's where people believe that spirits live, at the depth. That's where the dead live. Sheol is this insatiable appetite to swallow its prey, much like the fish swallowed Jonah. He talks about it as a pit at the root of the mountains. And here's what's really important. Sheol is always a place where God is not. God's presence is not in Sheol. That's the most terrifying thing about Sheol, the place of the dead. For even he says, he he says, I am driven away from your sight. Other psalms say, I'm in a place, isn't it better where I can be in a place where I can praise you? But if I'm Sheol, who can praise you from Sheol? Who can praise you from the dead? But ironically, in the book of Jonah, Jonah meets God in the place where God is not present. He says at the end of verse six, yet you brought me life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered you and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Here Jonah speaks proleptically as well. He basically at the beginning of his psalm is descending to the very depths and he says, I am a dead man walking. I am in a living hell. My life is as good as dead. It is over. That is it even though he still lives. But he also speaks prolectically because he says, but God, you saved me. Even while he sits at the bottom of the fish's belly, he says, God, you've saved me. And what is ironic is that while Jonah is speaking in the present tense about the salvation to come, what Jonah doesn't realize is that salvation has already come to Jonah in the form of a big fish. That is what is ironic about this statement. He is talking proleptically. He's like, God, I trust you. You're going to save me. This is, you've saved me. You're going to save me without realizing that God sent the fish so he wouldn't drown. God sent the fish so he wouldn't drown. Jonah thinks the fish is his problem, but it turns out the fish is actually God's grace and where God meets Jonah. Jonah. He meets him in the depths of Sheol. Jonah, Jonah's determination to run from the presence of the Lord was a flight to death. But God's mercy. But by God's mercy, the big fish swallows Jonah, rescuing him from a death of drowning But in its belly, the belly of Sheol, the place of the dead, he discovers the God for whom he has fled is waiting to meet him in the depths of the belly of the fish. That's where he meets God. And then it said, the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited Jonah up onto the the land. Some crazy, funny imagery. A big fish throwing Jonah up. Can you imagine if you're on the beach and you saw that? Don't let them tell you that story's not real. Salvation comes from the Lord. New life for Jonah one that came from death, one that was formed in the belly of a fish, in the belly of Sheol, made possible in the belly of a fish. And this new life and new salvation that Jonah has experienced is both gift and it is also task at the same time. For God, what we don't realize about this story is that for God, the key to Jonah's new life lies with the very pagans, the Ninevites, that Jonah seeks to avoid. He's run away. And he's spit back on dry land. Now he can go to the Ninevites. For if it is grace we have received then the sign that we have received that grace is that we have moved beyond ourselves. This is what I want you to hear today. I think Jonah is still fairly oblivious, just wrapped up in himself. He goes to sleep down in the the bottom. He runs away from God. Then he goes to sleep during the storm. Then he goes to the depths of the sea. Then he goes to the depths of the and I'm sure, I'm still sure he doesn't fully understand what's going on but he receives this gift and this gift is task for him. Jonah you have received the grace of God. Your task is now to move beyond yourself to someone else. So the question is we move beyond ourselves and be swallowed by the grace of God. Be swallowed, be moved beyond ourselves to be swallowed by new life and new purpose. This is Jonah's salvation. Move beyond himself to new life, salvation. this